District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about the organization, visit www.cfact.org. I hope you guys have been enjoying the interviews I've been putting out this week. We had Thomas McCauley, Executive Director of POMA, and yesterday we were joined by Christy Titus of Pursue the Wild. Today's guest is Sam Ayers of the Wild Initiative. Sam is a fellow Orange County native, and he has a very interesting story. I'm going to read about his project called the Wild Initiative, which was formerly known as Living Country in the City. It first began as a blog turned podcast chronicling the journey of a city boy navigating his ways into the outdoors. The Wild Initiative's mission has always been to lower the bar of entry to the outdoors, hunting and fishing. He does this freely, sharing stories, tactics, and other information that once was only accessible to those with friends or family already steeped in that knowledge. Sam and I chatted being California exiles, how he's adjusting to Montana, issues that are on his mind, how he made the jump from working in the entertainment industry with companies affiliated with Stagecoach and Coachella. If you're Californian, you know very well what those are. And how he's navigating the industry in the age of COVID and in the age of this multimedia kind of era we're entering. It's not just traditional media work, it's also digital and social media work as well. I think you're going to find our conversation interesting and riveting, and I hope you learn more about his story and you check him out and follow him. Here's my conversation with Sam Ayers of The Wild Initiative. Enjoy. Sam, it is so great to have you on my podcast. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. It's always, you know, it doesn't happen super often, but it's always really fun to be on this side of the mic because all the pressure's off. I just... (laughs) I get to like ramble when I want to, and I don't have to think of questions. This is great. Yeah, it's always fun talking to fellow podcasters. And actually, funny enough, before you and I met at POMA conference in 2019, we obviously connected via social media, but you and I both kind of share a common thread. We're both from South Orange County, <laughs> believe it or not, and <laughs> we're in the outdoor industry. Yeah, it's uh, what's the, you know, what's the first thing people ask? It's like, oh, they're allow hunting in California. <laughs> I thought camo was outlawed. I'm like, okay, I get it. I've heard the jokes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, at yes. this point, though, it's it, it would not surprise me if it comes soon, the way things are headed. Yeah, I maybe I'm of the minority opinion, but I never felt like the Department of Fish and Wildlife there really outreached to hunting. I mean, it was great for fishing fewer barriers to entry. The Pacific ocean was like 15 minutes from me and fishing seemed really encouraged until like these different Marine land protections started to come in in the late nineties and two thousands. And it seems even fishing can't catch a break either too. In addition to hunting as well, it just seems like becoming increasingly unfriendly. And you and I have both left California, obviously you're in Montana. Mm-hmm. Now I've been in Virginia, but talk about growing up in California, how you got exposed to the outdoors and and what made you essentially work in the outdoor industry too. Well, I mean, so growing up, you know, I, my family, we, we love the outdoors, but we weren't like that hunting and fishing family. You know, we'd go, we'd go fishing when we'd go up to Sequoia National Forest. So every, every summer we would go to uh, this, this little camp, Hume Lake, uh, and it was kind of in Sequoia, in between Sequoia National Forest and Kings Canyon National Forest. And we'd go up there and I'd, I'd, I grew up fishing the same off the same three rocks in the, the same lakes. And, you know, from the time I was three to, you know, in my 20s. 
And uh, that was really my experience with the outdoors. You know, we'd go camping now and again, or I went ocean fishing with my grandpa, but that was my exposure to the outdoors was time there. And I mean, I was always the, I always had an interest, you know, we always talk about like how ingrained the outdoors is to all of us, whether you realize it or not. And, uh, you know, I look back and I'm like, I loved fishing. I loved, I would, I was the kid. I would always like dig holes and try and jury rig pitfall traps for squirrels and raccoons. And, um, I remember, you know, I never actually managed to catch one and I, much to my parents, uh, joy, I'm pretty sure. But I remember I almost caught a squirrel one time and it was like, I talked about that for three years afterwards, I swear. <laughs> but that was really it. It was a vacation thing for me. And then you know, I grew up, I started getting working in advertising and uh, after college and I was living in the city and in the middle of Los Angeles and I was driving a roadster convertible wearing suits every day. And that was my thing. That's what I, that's what I enjoyed. And, you know, it was this whole long process of that involved, you know, the Vegas, uh, my first gun at a Vegas gun store and, um, you know, buying, I bought a desert Eagle was my first pistol I ever bought. And I don't even want to talk about that ridiculous <laughs> thing. Um, <laughs> and, but you know, it, it was this weird path of, you know, shooting at the Vegas gun store, buying a gun, getting into marksmanship through that, uh, buying more guns. And then, I've always been the type of person when I learn a skill and I get proficient at it, you know, I don't have to be the best at it, but if I get proficient, I start to lose interest unless I have a purpose behind it. So with shooting, it was great to punch paper all day long. Punching paper while I was shooting was all well and good, but I became good enough to where I could pretty much consistently hit what I wanted to. And I was looking for the next challenge and I was looking for a purpose behind the shooting. And so I started getting interested into hunting and, uh, you know, I, I started following hunters on social media and this and that. And, you know, it, like every red blooded American boy I had a giant sh uh, crush on Eva Shockey back then. And um, <laughs> really, I just never was able to follow through on it. And it wasn't until I, about four or so years ago um, that I really kind of took the plunge. I bought a bow. And that just settled it for me. <laughs> I, you know, I, I bought my first bow. I shot as a kid, but um, that's really what propelled me into hunting. And I, I was lucky enough just after that to start a new job. I got out of advertising and actually went deeper into Los Angeles and into the music industry. And uh, <clears throat> I managed for Coachella, right? You did some yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So I managed digital for uh, all of the digital for Golden Voice Festivals, part of AEG. And so, yeah, they run Coachella, Stagecoach. Uh, I did some work with Firefly Music Festival, with Hangout Music Festival. We had some in New York. We had, you know, all over the U.S. We had all these festivals, a lot in L.A. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, they used to call me the diversity hire. That was the big joke. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> Why because, is that? Uh, because I would walk in in boots with a knife on my belt and, you know, a pearl snap shirt. And everyone else there, you know... Literally run the biggest country music festival in the United States, uh, arguably the world. And there's like, you could probably count the number of people that actually legitimately listen to country music on one hand. Um, and so, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a big joke. They used to call me Country Sam there because there's a bunch of Sams in the office. So they'd call me Country Sam, which then started translating among my friends and all my actual country friends that are from the South, from the Midwest, whatever. 
for them, it's kind of tongue in cheek. It's like calling the the big guy tiny. Um, so all my LA friends, it's like this serious thing. They're like, Oh yeah, that's country Sam. He's like the real country guy. And then all my country friends are like, Oh yeah, that's country Sam. All right. But, uh, <laughs> but I digress. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was working in the music industry and I was, uh, lucky enough to, you know, I had this interest in hunting. I was lucky enough to be sitting in a, in a meeting and I see this guy across the table from me and I didn't know what Kuyu was at the time, but he's wearing this big old Kuyu puffy. And I'm kind of looking at his camo and I got a camo laptop cover and he's kind of looking at my laptop cover and we make eye contact and we're like, Hmm. And so I was like, all right, you know, how do I go talk to this guy about hunting? Like, cause I, you know, who knows if it's just like some fashion camo at the time, like I didn't know. Um, and so I'm like, but I gotta, I gotta find out if this guy's a hunter so I can, you know, learn a little bit more. And so I, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to see if I can go talk to him, kind of break the ice a little bit. And, I walk into his office and his screensaver is a bugling elk. I'm like, okay, that's like a good sign right there. And uh, then the next screen, it like swipes over to the next screen. And it's, uh, it's that diagram of an elk with all the cuts of meat uh, <laughs> broken down. And uh, I'm like, okay, yeah, I think I'm good to talk to this guy. And, you know, that's really, that's right around when I was thinking about starting the podcast too. He encouraged me to start the podcast. He's like, I think you would have a really cool perspective on, getting into hunting on the hunting industry, all of that stuff being so new to it. And then he just really, he mentored me uh, as far as, you know, helping me figure out what gear I needed, how to, how to just get into it, what other podcasts to listen to, um, you know, people to reach out to and just all of this stuff, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't the one that took like took me out and showed me how to hunt, but he opened all those doors for me. And he ended up actually being my second ever podcast interview. And it's still to this day, one of my absolute favorites, uh, his name's Samson. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, it immediately took over my life from that point forward. That was all I cared about. <laughs> like, I mean, it just, I was completely obsessed with it. I, you know, that was January uh, of 2017. And he was the one that told me, like, he's like, you want to hunt elk? So go hunt elk. I'm like, well, you know, I've never done this before. He's like, so what? You can, it's not as expensive as you think. And it is perfectly possible for somebody to do that on their first hunt, if that's really what you want to do. And I mean, it took me four years to get my first elk, but um you know, I learned something every year and it was, I mean, I've never looked back. I mean, shoot. I, if you told me back when I was, you know, in my early twenties, working in advertising, wearing my suits, driving my convertible that, you know, this uh, today I would be living in my own pl my place out here in Montana. I'd be this like tatted up bearded guy wearing cowboy boots, you know, planning hunt, you know, planning an a bear hunt, uh, and running a, running a podcast in a, my own agency for the outdoor industry. Like I would have laughed at you. Anybody that knew me would have laughed at you. It's, it's like, it would, it was so far out of the, even a realm of consideration at that time that it's just wild to see where I'm at now. Like, it's just absolutely wild and no, no pun intended with the brand name or anything. <laughs> life is a funny thing. I mean, you never know what could be flung your way in terms of opportunities. And I think for a lot of us, we never think it's feasible to make a livelihood in the outdoor industry. I think for me, it was a really distant possibility to do it. 
I just was like, okay, maybe I could write about this stuff. But you worked hard to get where you are. Obviously from this was born living country in the city, which you rebranded as the wild initiative and you have your agency. So talk about how you were able to make that transition and why you changed the name. And yeah, so I, I had started originally, I started living country in the city and it, you know, this was a, a brainchild of uh, around Christmas, I want to say 2015. Um, so, you know, December, 2015, I was, I was visiting family for the holidays. I, you know, I had a bunch of free time. So my brain was just spinning on different stuff that I wanted to do. And I just started getting interested in archery and, I had all these friends reaching out to me being like, Hey man, I didn't know you could go like off-roading just outside of LA or I didn't know you could uh, go shoot your bow here. I didn't know there was country concerts or line dancing nights or all this stuff. And, and I was just like, you know, I had all these people asking. And so I'm like, Oh, maybe I'll start like a little blog or Instagram or something. And um, you know, and it just, it kind of started off as this little thing of sharing what I was doing while I was, you know, all this country stuff I was doing in the city. And well, so I, got a little on the nose and named it living country in the city. Um, and, you know, sat there in my pajamas on my parents' couch and drew up a logo, which it, God help me. That thing stuck for, you know, like four years. <laughs> and I thought it was just going to be a temporary placeholder. Um, but so I built this whole brand and like I said, hunting took over my life. Hunting also took over living country in the city. Like it, I recorded one one podcast episode, my very first one, with some country music artists local to LA, and then every other one. And now I'm I'm about to release. I'm going to be releasing two episode two hundred in a in a week or two. Every single one since has been about hunting, fishing, or the outdoors, with maybe one or two exceptions that I've I've thrown in there because screw it, it's my podcast and I do what I want. Heck yeah. Um, <laughs> It's, you know, and it's, uh, it's just, it's crazy. Um, because, you know, I get a lot of people that are like, Oh, you know, why'd you want to start a hunting podcast? I'm like, well, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to start a hunting podcast and it just, I became obsessed with it and that's what it turned into. And so, you know, I was running this living country in the city thing. It turned into, um, it turned into a hunting podcast, a fishing podcast, an outdoor podcast. And I, I was, I was really, I've been trying to get out of LA for a long time. And my job with Golden Voice, they allowed me to start working remotely. Well, you know, through the podcast, I had made a lot of contacts and I was doing a lot of work uh, just on the side for friends in exchange for a hunt here or for some pocket change, you know, or just to help out a buddy. Uh, you know, I'd work on their website or I'd, I'd fix an email template for them or all this stuff that I was doing at work. And it was just, you know, I was doing it for myself and might as well help out some friends in the industry. And it started turning into something through word of mouth and more and more people were asking. I was having to turn down work and I was getting frustrated with my time in the music industry. It was really cool stuff. You know I mean? I got to work on some really cool stuff, some really passionate people, but the problem is our passions didn't line up and they were willing to, I mean, how we feel about hunting, fishing, the outdoors, that's how they feel about live music. They, they take vacations to go to other music festivals. It's like, so I, I try to, would, would try to explain to them, like when I take vacation, I need a vacation. <laughs> like, um, 
but the the problem is I just didn't hear that passion with them. And I was realized I was turning down work that I loved with people I really cared about and to do something that I really had zero passion for. The work was cool, but I didn't have any passion for it. And so um, I had, uh, I was, I was going back and forth and I had been working remotely and I just, in a period of maybe a week or two, I made the decision. I'm like, I'm quitting my job and I'm going to work freelance. And, um, you know, all of this started growing. And right around that same time, uh, I had moved out of Los Angeles. I'd been working remotely for a while and it just, let's face it, like living country in the city. I knew, I know it was a, a legacy name and it spoke to where I'd been, but it just didn't feel authentic anymore. And, you know, explaining that to people, it just, it required too much explanation. Plus I just hated typing in that whole freaking brand name every time I had to write my email. Um, (laughs) I, and so I just, I decided, you know, it's time. And I had a bunch of people asking too. They're like, Oh, are you going to change it to living country in the country? I'm like, Oh, heavens no. Um, but you know, I just decided it was time to kind of unpigeonhole myself a little bit and, and really let the brand grow up from, from what it has been. I mean, it had changed so much from when I launched it in late 2015. And so, you know, I took a lot of time and shopped around a lot of names. I probably have like 30 or 40 different domain names purchased when I was trying to design this brand and figure out what I wanted to do with it. And, you know, through a whole process, I came up with the wild initiative and, you know, I, I went, I went deep on this and I really even down to the, down to the idea of like, how is it pronounced even? Is it the wild initiative or is it the wild initiative? It, you know, people may be laughing and being like, what kind of distinction is that? And for me, it was important. It was, um, for me, it's an initiative for the wild. It's my initiative to get into the wild. And I mean, I went deep. I went, I was like looking up all the different definitions of the word initiative, what it means. And so, you know, you think of like, you know, you, you work in uh, the political realm, if you will, if I can simplify it that way. And so you're probably used to hearing about initiatives all the time, whether it's an initiative for public schools or an initiative for public lands. Um, And so that's really what this was for me. This whole thing is my initiative for the wild. It's, it's also me taking and taking the initiative and, and moving into the wild. And that was, that was the whole idea behind the name and the rebrand. And then at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm building up this digital marketing business for friends and and companies and small businesses in the outdoor industry. And so everyone kind of already knew me then as living country in the city and then the wild initiative. And so really I just, I, I now have the wild initiative digital marketing group as well. Um, and, uh, you know, it all just kind of ties together. Uh, you know, I, I work the podcast, I work the, the digital marketing and, um, really it's, it's become an incredible thing. Um, it's, it's been life-changing for me. Uh, like I was saying before, it's, it's grown beyond what I could have ever expected. You know, if you had told me that I would 
be sitting down. I would be hopping on the line with Corey Jacobson and Jason Phelps to talk elk calling, to talk, you know, mule deer hunting with Remy Warren, to sit and talk conservation and inspiration with Jim Shockey twice, like, uh, to, to sit down with a freaking United States Senator. I mean, who, I, you know, I still have those moments where who am I to be, you know, looking at Steve Danes, you know, across zoom, but, you know, talking with Steve Danes and having a great time talking about his love for Montana and hunting and fishing and in his passion for the outdoors, like is wild. I can't, I can't, I keep using that term and I don't mean it like as a play on words or anything, but it's just wild that this is happening. And I mean, I have, I've, I've busted my ass to do this. Like, I mean, I'm working four times as much for about a quarter of the money that I was making in the music industry. And, uh, but I'm loving every minute of it. As you should, you do work a lot. You've hustled to get where you are. And I feel like I'm in the same position with doing all these different gigs and and they do amount to a lot when you put your mind to it and you get the right guests. I mean, you've had some really impressive guests on your show and that's something to be proud of. They trust you. They find you interesting. Probably they, they see that you have an interesting audience, maybe new hunters. So you have built up a lot of clout. So you should definitely pat pat yourself on the back. And and speaking of um, Steve Danes, some people didn't like the fact that you interviewed Senator Steve Daines. Could you explain that and then talk about how that process went? So it's one of those funny things where I knew I, I knew I was going to get some blowback because I I've always been a pretty middle of the road guy. And I I'll talk with a lot of people on a lot of different sides of the issues. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Aside, you know, we, if for those that saw my April Fool's post, which lost me uh, uh, probably around a hundred, <laughs> couple hundred followers. Um, you know, I'm not exactly going to have the founder of PETA or Nancy Pelosi on the podcast or anything, <laughs> but I'll, I'll have people that I don't, you know, hundred percent agree with every viewpoint they have on the podcast. And so I've got a big variety of people that follow me from, you know, from the fishing community, from the hunting community, whatever it happens to be. And some are definitely more left-leaning, some are more right-leaning, and you know, some are are very single-issue issue people on public lands, come hell or high water, and they have very specific opinions on how things could, should be handled. And um, you know, I mean, Steve Daines is a Republican, and it is not a popular time to be a Republican, uh, and it's it's. And here, let's just put it, let's just put it, obviously, there are some people in the hunting community that would, would sacrifice anything and everything for public lands. It does not matter if those public lands are closed off to hunting, does not matter if those public land, like what it is, if you can create more public lands, come hell or high water, it does not mean, it does not matter what we have to burn down or destroy to do it we're creating more public lands and you know, I'll let, I'll let people make their own decisions on who those people are. I'm, I'm of the opinion where I think public lands are one of the greatest things this country has. I, I think our public lands are incredible. They are something very unique to what we have here. I hunt them. I, I hunt public land almost exclusively. I mean, don't get me wrong. Somebody, I just recently was down in Texas because I got invited to go shoot some animals on someone's property. I won't turn that down, but 
I love going out and, you know, that just that romantic picture of hunting public lands. I love public lands. I'm passionate about them. I've done countless podcasts on them. But you know what's more important to me? Our freedoms here as Americans, our gun rights. Uh, you know what's more important to me than public lands? Protecting hunting. If, if I can, if, you know, don't get me wrong, like if, if the, that coincides, if opening more public lands coincides with more hunting opportunity, then I'm excited about that. But if opening, if, if these public lands issues, if fighting for them means we lose, lose people uh, or lose hunting opportunity in one way or the other, if that's, if that's bringing in a politician who is going to restrict hunting opportunity, restrict our second amendment rights. Oh, hell no. You know what? And I, I'm probably going to get some people pissed off at me for saying this, but if, if it meant us losing our second amendment rights and losing our ability to hunt, which are two separate things. So don't come at me about that people. But if, if it meant losing those two, or if it meant protecting those two things, I should say, I would watch all our public lands burn. And I'm no, I'm somebody's going to misquote that for me. But you know what? Our Second Amendment rights and our our ability to hunt is more important to me than all the public lands on Earth. That being said, I hope it never comes down to that. And I and public lands are surely number three for me. But I'm going on this rant. I'm getting off what the question you asked. That's how I feel about public lands. Some people are just completely the opposite end of the spectrum from me. And, you know, that's, that's their right to have that opinion. But Steve Daines is a Republican, a Republican senator. And he, um, he looks out, he fights for Second Amendment rights. He fights for mixed usage of public lands. He wants public mm-hmm. lands to be accessible to people for hunting, for fishing, and for other mixed use to uh, keep them a valuable commodity. Um, And some people don't understand the distinction between that. Uh, For them, protecting public lands means making everything a, a wilderness area with no use, no accessibility. For some people, protect, you know, they don't understand that there is a middle ground. It's either everything's wilderness or we're strip mining it and clear cutting it. Mm. There's nothing, there's nothing in between for some of these people. And it's, it just makes me sick. And those they're impossible to talk to. They just, they're like foaming at the mouth when, when you discuss, you try and discuss this stuff with them. And so I got blowback from a lot of those people, whether, you know, I got some private messages. There's a few comments on the post. Um, I, I, you know, I'm sure more stuff will continue to crop up as it comes, but it's just, it, it feels like these just rabid people who have no concept of mixed use of our public lands um, that, you know, and again, a lot of them, a lot of them are, are on the left side of the aisle and just, don't give a crap about anything but public lands. Yeah, they may hunt, but it's public lands, it's public lands, it's public lands. And dear Lord, it's like, just mix it up a little bit, you know, have a broader view of things other than like one narrow little focus. It's, it drives me nuts. I'm getting all worked up right now. <laughs> no, the passion is great. And I'm of the same thinking. 
I'm of the same thinking, excuse me, because when you study kind of how this country is fashioned, I guess, or, or kind of set up in terms of conservation, multiple uses of public lands are perfectly acceptable. And I actually worry about there's a philosophy that's emerging just called public use, which is very preservationist. And basically that will take away people's ability to live off the land uh, for commercial uses, whether it's timber, oil and gas, um, things of that sort. But you never really see opposition to these folk, opposition to this mixed use when it comes to clean energy usage. You don't see the outrage yet of solar and wind on public lands, which they're going to have a reckoning on because right now, actually in our native state, they're having a reckoning on solar and wind and endangered tortoises and condors and, (laughs) and all that. So it's a very interesting battle. But I think when you say, quote unquote, clean energy, yes, that's a whole different rabbit hole we could go down. Oh, yeah. A loaded term. But anyway, sorry. (laughs) No, 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 that's fine. And no, I I agree with the multiple uses. I mean, why can't everyone have a piece of the pie and have access to it? And sometimes I feel with some public land dictates and it's not to say this makes you have animosity to public lands by no means like. I've hunted primarily private lands. I fish mostly public waters and I want to hunt more public lands, but it's a little hard in Virginia because it's overcrowded. And I'm a little worried of like doing it myself by myself. (laughs) So I I don't want to do it quite yet, but you know, for me, private land is fine, but that doesn't mean I admonish people who go public land hunting. I think all of the above, it's like my energy policy, all of the above don't judge people and understand the system that's been in place. So people can have livelihoods. Like I'm not going to sacrifice free enterprise for public lands. And I don't think you really need to settle on, uh, you know, advancing public lands above all and betraying your principles. I think that's a misnomer. Like, I don't know why people have to choose one or the other. I think when you have a uh, more free market environmentalist perspective, conservationist perspective, and that doesn't mean government doesn't have a place. Government should have a place in overseeing this, of course, I think. Um, but sometimes they can be more problematic. Like you were talking wilderness areas, sometimes national monument designations can make it really hard for hunters and anglers to access it. We saw this in Arizona and other cases. A lot of conservation groups have said like, whoa, hold back on blanket statement, like doing these monument designations. And it's unfortunate that they're not open to hearing about kind of being in the middle when it comes to this. It's not really a right or left issue, but it's like, this has worked. Cattle grazing has worked. It's not perfect, but it's a system where people pay into it. They maintain the land and you see people buying into, what is it? Like they like to buy grazing permits, but they don't graze or don't have cattle that graze. And that completely makes the model useless and it's counterintuitive, but they're doing it to essentially block access from people either farming or grazing. And I think this is what they did with the grizzly bear permit in Montana, where people were buying it to prevent hunting tags from being issued. This was right before the federal judge nixed the hunt. So they were trying to, I would say, impede on conservation uh, to prevent people from harvesting grizzly bears, which are really hard to do from what people tell me. I've never done it before, but mm-hmm. I've talked to people on the ground who say that. So I, I feel like they're um, employing these different tactics too. And with this, yeah, it, it should have multiple uses. Like, And if it doesn't, like, what's the, what's the point of public lands? And that doesn't mean you're going to have destruction of public lands. I think I would say it's very few people who want to wage an all out assault war on public lands, like privatize everything. You really find that to be a minority opinion. And I talk to a lot of Republicans. I don't hear many of them say, yes, we have to privatize anything, everything. Um, Sometimes they believe in federalism when it comes to species management, which is something I agree with. I think when species have delisted, like 
apex predators, states like out West should manage them. And I think there were some rules last administration where wherever there was gray area between government oversight and state oversight, like for kind of extraneous hunting regulations, it was better for the states to have those in terms of dictating seasons and things of that sort. And this is kind of the nuances of different things. But sometimes the government can be our worst enemy, especially with somewhat we're seeing right now with, I've talked about this a little bit before, but with like pub, uh, public land closures on national parks under the guise of pandemic precautions, which runs counter to what they're preaching, the responsible recreation campaign. People should be able to go to public lands and, and national parks in particular um, and not be told like, well, because of COVID, you can't go because of overcrowdedness. It's like, but th this is what public lands are for, for helping people escape the indoors. It's a lot safer, healthier. And also with what we're seeing in Alaska with them wanting to shut down caribou hunting and moose hunting on 60 million acres, which is mind numbing to me why they would do this. So yeah, it's a lot to unpack. I totally agree with your sentiment, but I, I think um, it's going to be hard to reckon with these people, I think, and reason with them more so because they're so yoked into this philosophy. It's like a, a an absolutist philosophy, which doesn't work in, in any type of setting. And, and I see this in politics all the time. Like I am very very, 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 very conservative politically, but I understand in some areas you do have to kind of be open to what other people say. You have to listen and I will put to listening and you can still retain your belief system, but they don't want to have this dialogue about multiple uses and they don't call out attacks on public land access when it's done from a preservationist angle much, unless they have to. It's, there's just no reasoning with it is the, is my problem. I, again, I, I'm one of those people. I love having discussions with people that are have ragingly different beliefs than me because one, it keeps me sharp. It makes sure I'm, and it makes me question what I believe. And if, because if I can't defend something, one, how useless am I? And two is, am I really, if I can't defend it, it do I, how much, how much do I believe in it? Am I on the right side of things? And it makes me question those beliefs. So I love having those people around, but then, yeah, there's just that, that group of that, that type of person that is so rabid that you even asking the question turns them red in the face and they just start screaming to drown out any sort of dissenting discussion. And it, it's typically because they have no ability to, to defend their, their, their part they they do not have they cannot can't back up what they're talking about so all they have is screaming yelling whatever it is like if you know they just don't want you looking too deep at what they're saying and what they believe but right <sighs> shun the non-believers or really have their um, arguments run on pathos and emotion is good but you have to have facts and you have to read beyond what you're fed and what you're told it doesn't matter if you're a public lands absolutist or big game hunter whatever I think too many people rely on emotion. Some people become keyboard warriors and it doesn't help us because we're having an image problem in hunting in the broader spectrum of things. And it doesn't help when people try to divide the community, when we're trying our best to reach out to new people, new audiences, and get them interested in this. When you see people lecturing, this is how you have to hunt. Or if you don't think like us, you're not part of the community or, or some craziness like that. And I want to ask you, what has the I would say adjustment been moving from California to Montana and, and how would you assess what your governor, new governor is doing so far? I know he's re been receiving some criticism too, but I want to know from a newly minted Montanan, 
How do you feel about Greg Gianforte's performance so far? Do you think he's being an advocate for sportsmen too? You know, I'll be completely honest with you. Um, I've been so just head down working away on my own stuff. I'm, I'm not as familiar with what he's been doing here in Montana uh, so far. I have not, uh, since the election, I've not really taken the time to, to look at the, the work he's been doing, uh, the, the stuff he's been putting out. Um, it's been a the past couple of months have been, have been just an absolute whirlwind of change for me. Um, so I've been, you know, cause if it's right when the move happened is, uh, you know, and the end of last year, right after the election. And so, um, I'll be, I'll be just completely honest. And, you know, this may make me a bad, bad Montanan at the moment, but, uh, I just, I haven't, I have, I'm not as familiar with what he's been doing here in the state. Well, he passed constitutional carry. Well, that's one, that, one good that thing. one I'm, I did, I, I will admit, I did forget that. I, I should have <laughs> mentioned that because I do have, uh, my concealed holster should be coming or holsters, uh, bought a variety because I couldn't just decide on one. Uh, my concealed holster should be coming in the mail. Um, but yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I will say that is, that is fantastic. I do like that he did uh, withdraw the mask mandate, albeit, unfortunately, I live in Gallatin County. Uh, and there's a reason they call it Bose Angeles is because of all <laughs> the idiots here. And you know what? I'm just going to call them idiots um, that are just so obsessed with masks. And oh, it's wild. It is wild. It's There's like two counties in Montana. All of Montana has no mask mandate. And there's two counties here where uh where they try and tell us you know you go to an axe throwing place and you have to wear a mask you're you're while you're throwing the axe you're allowed to take your mask off because that's strenuous but then you have to put it back on to walk from the back of the store to the front of the to pick up your axe and goodness that's literally the craziness that is is run in this county thanks to thanks all the damn californians moving into moving into bozeman Uh, <laughs> not you but the others <laughs> I, I talk so much crap about californians out here um uh, i think i think as former californians on this side of the aisle we're worse than the montanans i'm just just throwing that out there <laughs> uh, <laughs> i think everything in reason too i mean for outdoor activities you really don't need them and it's not me trying to be a contrarian but like there's no proof of them having, I would say you don't need to wear a mask outdoors. If you want to do it in indoor public settings where it's required, I mean, we're stuck kind of on that and that's not really germane to the podcast, but I think with outdoor stuff, like if you're doing strenuous activity, you shouldn't, you'd really don't need it. And actually other things that, um, Gianforte, just to be having it on your radar and you should actually interview him for your podcast. I think this would be a good opportunity for you to learn what he's been up to. He did a wolf hunt oh, yeah. recently. Um, and he, just did something allowing wolf snaring. Well, they call it wolf snaring, but I think it's extension of wolf trapping and extended seasons. So uh, that should be interesting. I know it attracts a lot of controversy in Montana. I think there's also a right to hunt and fish bill moving in Montana and they need like an overwhelming vote in the legislature, like all the Republican support and a handful of Democrats, but I think they need two thirds vote on each chamber. So that would then go to a vote and then be voted in next year. And there's overwhelming. And actually people talk about hunting being a privilege. 
there's actually a little bit of a challenge to that because in different states, in like 20-something states, you have hunter right and right to hunt and fish amendments, which actually enshrine mm-hmm. hunting rights and fishing rights in state constitutions. So federally, not so much, but statewide, yes. Yeah. And Montana could be the next state say, if this passes. I remember seeing something about that. I was on, I can't remember if it was a Sportsman's Alliance website or the uh, uh, one of the Montana Conservation Organization websites. I, I was reading just the the kind of legislative updates and briefs on, on their websites, the list mm-hmm. and stuff. And um, and I remember that was that was coming up uh, was the amendment to the Montana the constant the Montana Constitution to add in the right to hunt and fish language or I can't remember if it was to officially add it in or if it was to strengthen it so it made it clear because I think it was a I think it's kind of in there if I remember correctly it's kind of in it's there but vague. it's really vague and, yes and so I think they were basically codifying uh codifying that language and making sure that it was added in and i mean you know of all the places in the u.s like to to not have that in the constitution i mean come on uh you know maybe i'll get a, a i mean there's a reason they call montana the treasure state the last great place you know whatever whatever it happens to be i mean i i feel like montana is the hunting state like it's one of know, the last outposts of, yeah, there's a lot of states you can hunt and uh, that have some incredible hunting and incredible opportunity. But like, if you want to talk about like the hunting state, this like a state that's founded on the outdoors and hunting and 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 that uh, rugged outdoors outdoors equality, it's it's Montana through and through. Like, and I'll, I'll shoot, I'll fight anyone that says different. <laughs> you know, I just it's. I mean, I'm I'm like the 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 quintessential new Montana man. I worship this place. It is, it is the greatest place on earth as far as I'm con- I'm concerned. And I, or, and I had a, I had a buddy reach out to me. I posted something about that, and he's like, "Well, you ought to come visit Maine before you make any other blanket statements like that." And I'm like, "Hmm, no, I don't need to visit Maine. I don't need to visit anywhere to know there's nowhere better on this earth than Montana." Uh, <laughs> and I I have visited many other places, but. Um, I mean, yeah, I feel like of all the places on earth that that needs to be enshrined in the constitution, like that needs to be engraved on a gold plaque on the Capitol, you know, on the Capitol steps is, is our, is our right to hunt and fish in this state, man. Yeah. And hopefully it does get some movement. I think there's an appetite for it. And that's something I think we have to discuss better as podcasters in our line of work, just because like, it would be great to see most states. I think it's now 23 states. So they, uh, which states were recent? Oh, Utah was the recent one. Uh, North Carolina was also an addition. And then I forget what other states are. And actually Vermont was one of the first states to do it. Um, believe it or not, I think for fishing, if I'm not mistaken and Virginia, where I live, we have it, the right to hunt and fish. Amazingly. I'm surprised they haven't eroded it yet, given that we're starting to become a more anti-gun and I worry even an anti-hunting, um, state legislature, but, uh, for now we still have it safeguarded in our constitution, which is phenomenal. But yeah, a lot of states don't have it, um, which is a shame. Because it actually it adds additional safeguards, especially if they try to go the legislative route to undo hunting, which is what they're doing with banning predator hunting, banning different forms, trapping in general. Um, so it's kind of like firearms where you have to be very careful of incremental bans because it's not going to stop in one form. It's going to continue and continue and continue until it's very, very hard to to do it. Well, I mean, and we, you know, you see that happening to some extent federally. You see it happening then 
all over California. I mean, yep. you've got Newsom. You can't fully ban guns, but he can he can get at us every other possible way. Whether you know whether that's additional taxes on certain things, whether that's legislating uh, certain hunting activities, he knows that. Okay, well, I can't I can't get at this crowd from this angle, so at least I can uh, I can get back at them you know, from this route, whether, you know, uh, it's banning bobcat hunting or, you know, uh, whatever it happens to be, it's, it's crazy to me that, um, and it's so often just seems like nobody cares. Like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people talk, but you know, I don't, I don't know. It's just, you know, again, it's written off as, Oh, that's California or, Oh, that's just, you know, you know, the crazies in New Mexico, that's never going to pass. You know, it's, it can happen anywhere. I, yeah. I'm i of the belief because too many people sit pretty and comfortable and, and they don't kind of see and look forward. Uh, did you see this has been going around? I'm really surprised it hasn't gone on Instagram more, but there's a lawmaker from Texas who's opposed to constitutional carry. And she worries that if it passes in Texas, it'll lead to Wild West pimp style of people like pimps buying guns and doing stuff with women. It's just the most laughable thing I've ever seen. And I have to send it to you. And, <laughs> and it's just like these moments of ignorance that come out and it's just like, Oh my God, like it's partly comedic, but it's partly scary at the other end well, of it too. And I think that's part of the problem is it's so ridiculous sometimes that it's hard to take it seriously until all of a sudden stuff happens and you're like, holy crap, I thought that was a joke. And it's, and then all of a sudden Biden's in office. Um, you know, did I say that out loud? Yeah, um, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Oh, darn. But in, in your discussions with Montanans, because I know, yeah. I think with Montanans, they're very different. Like, I mean, so much without going into politics, but I would say Democrats in Montana are not like Democrats in the Northeast or California yeah. Democrats. They're, they're a little more genteel, they live the sportsman's lifestyle. They're a little more moderate, I would say. But I know for them, they never anticipate like gun control ever happening because they're just so used to like, yeah, the threats are not really serious. But in your conversation with people, I don't know how many people you talk to, do they worry federally about kind of the threats that are being made? President Biden said something to the effect of he wants to remove immunity from manufacturers who uh, could be now sued for, for uh, spurious cases. Uh, for for faulty firearms and this could really open the door for people suing manufacturers of cars and different other entities who have nothing really to do with it apart from a perpetrator who abuses their their products yeah yeah what's next uh going after hammer manufacturers or you know knives knows what else but yeah oh dear heavens and yeah that's my that's my new uh my new side hobby so somebody does something horrible with one of my knives and suddenly i'm getting sued um but yeah just you know here there's definite concern. I mean, I, uh, you know, I see it definitely from people on the right. There is a huge concern from people on the, uh, again, the, the kind of genteel Montanan left, uh, as we can call it, um, not, not the rabid folks. I feel like they would not be thrilled at seeing a lot of these bands. They're not happy about ammo prices or any of this. Um, but they don't, I don't think they, they believe that that's even on the agenda. You know, they're like, Oh, that'll, hmm. that'll never happen. You know, no one's serious about that. I, you know, Oh yeah. You know, I voted for that person that said they're going to do that, but they, you know, I, I'm not worried about 
about them actually doing that. And, um, but yeah, there's a definite concern with a lot of people and, you know, a lot of my friends in the outdoor or in the outdoor industry in the, uh, firearms industry as well, they're, um, they're horrified at all this and they're, you know, they're battening down the hatches. Uh, I mean, a lot of my, a lot of my acquaintances out here, it's, I mean, it's like, okay, time to stock up and hide things in the, in the back cupboard, you know? Um, so there's, there's definite huge concern from everything I can see, uh, you know, from my friends out here, from my acquaintances, people I talk to, I mean, you know how it was, but Obama was a great gun salesman. I think Biden's yep. about to be an even better one. I, you mm-hmm. know, I know, I know more people that are like getting, uh, you know, AR kits shipped to their shipped to them out here. than I, and I've known in the past 10 years, like I've had more people mention offhand. They're like, Oh yeah, man, I just, uh, just had a whole AR kit built and shipped to me. Um, and and now they're like months out. There there's such a backlog and desire for them. They're months out, you know. Thanks to everyone getting a STEMI check uh, at <laughs> the same time as uh, <laughs> at the same time as him announcing that crap. But um, no, there's a, there's a definite concern. And I mean, you know, and let's face it. Like I prefer bow hunting. I love bow hunting. Um, you know, when it comes to being in the outdoors, I just, I really enjoy it. I think, you know, there's a cool challenge and connection and added, um, you know, something added when you're hunting with a bow, but you know, I also love hunting with a rifle and, um, I like being able to protect myself and, you know, you just don't F with people that are armed and, you know, it, and as those things start to disappear, I'm concerned. I'm really concerned. Um, I'm concerned that I won't, you know, that I'm going to have to uh, call my local, if I want to go hunting with my rifle, I'm going to have to call my local police department, tell them where I'm going to hunt, you know, how many rounds of ammo I'm bringing with me and exactly, you know, the route I'll be taking and then, you know, if I fire a few times, I'll have to account for every single round I used and, uh, and report that, you know, every time I want to go hunting to my local police department, um, in order to, you know, exercise my quote unquote freedoms. And that may sound like a slippery slope to some people, but it's not so many miles away from me here in Montana that some people have to do shit like part or stuff like that. You can uh, say that. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> never, never sure. Um, you know, it's, it's like, it's only, it's not so far from me here in Montana where there's a, a place where, you know, people have to have to report shit like that. Um, that's crazy. That's not a world I want to live in when it comes to this type of stuff. And we're not the ones perpetrating crimes. Honest to goodness, like in the years I've been writing about the firearms issue, I've gone to many shot shows. I've been around enough firearms, people and former military civilians who use firearms. I've never felt unsafe at any point in time at a gun range or shooting in the field or something of that nature. And I went to my state's lobby day. What was it? Pre-pandemic. And I was around a lot of long guns, which can be intimidating if you're not used to seeing so many, but it was probably the safest day in our state capital when we had that big rally uh, Mm -hmm. pre-COVID. And 
yeah, all the reporters, they were very strangely surprised to see like nothing happened at this event, like no shootings, no nothing. I was like, of course, because they're law abiding. They have scary aesthetics, of course. Like it looks scary if you're untrained and you're not familiar with it, but like those people are not going to harm you. They want to protect you <laughs> in, yeah. in any event. And so I, I think though the, the public opinion attitudes are changing though in our favor because you see fewer people, they love to throw out this thing about like most gun owners support universal background checks. I think the president said something to the effect of most gun owners support his proposals. I'm like, no, wherever you're getting your information, it's faulty. Um, and, and phrasing when it comes to, I think when it comes to universal background checks, especially the numbers that they use, I think they conflate general background checks, which I don't think any of us are opposed to. I'm happy to submit myself to a basic background check that's already in place. And then they conflate that with, do you support having duplicitous systems in place? Like there's already background checks for every gun purchase, FFL, even private sales to people forget that. And so I think they mix up how they phrase background checks. That's especially something that they like to do. They like to conflate that. Well, right now there's like no background checks in place, which is false because anyone who's gone through a back, anyone who's bought a gun or gotten a gun has to go through a background check. I've done it myself. I know you have too. And everyone Mm -hmm. we know who owns guns has done this. So they, they frame it where they say it's like the wild west where no background checks are in place, which there are, we support basic ones. We don't want any further ones because, or extended background check periods, because if someone needs a gun life or death situation and they can't have it, it's going to lead to a lot of problems. And there's no need to prolong it if someone's law abiding has no criminal record. Well, I mean, I, I, I will give you like, you know, when people ask how pro gun I am, I'm like pro, I think I should be able to buy RPGs off of Amazon. That's how pro gun I am. Um, So, I mean, you know, I, I'm like, okay, whatever instant background checks, but I'm like, I feel like I should be able to go into the local gas station and walk out with an AR and some Skittles. Like, (laughs) whoa, which actually our, our local gas station right here has a gun shop attached to it, which is pretty interesting. Uh, (laughs) Good old, good old Rocky mountain supply right around the corner from me. Um, But I mean, yeah, it is, it is ridiculous when I hear people being like, oh, just everyone can just go buy guns. And I'm like, okay, go buy a gun. Go 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 into California and just walk into a gun store in California without any like pre-research or preparation and try and buy a gun. See what happens. You'll have a better time getting a freaking real ID. Like, what? Um, you know, it's just, oh, it's wild that people are so ignorant about how this actually works um your lord they can't even again they can't even get the difference between a clip and a magazine right or an assault mm-hmm. weapon right i'm like for for the love of all of that's good and holy like that's simple you've been educated numerous times on on what the distinctions are and you still can't figure it out enough to use the correct terms why is that so hard um you know well, i think it's on purpose to, too yeah it's on purpose. Oh, yeah, and well, assault weapons, that whole assault weapons term was solely a political term created mm-hmm. to conflate the idea of a, a standard sporting weapon with an a, assault rifle, which right. an assault rifle is a legitimate term for a fully automatic awesome thing that I want. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, the, you know, it has those distinctions. It has to be 
Uh, I forget off the top of my head. The main one is obviously fully automatic, but there's, there's, you know, a few different uh, pieces to it, but then, yeah, you, you want to talk about assault weapons. Okay. Let's see. Does it have a bayonet leg lug? Who, who the hell cares if it has a bayonet leg? What does that have to do with anything? Does it have a pistol grip? Does it, uh, you know, I, I mean, I forget, I forget off the top of my head what some of them are, but they're all, you know, aesthetic features, really. Oh, does it have a, you know, a, what was it, a, a muzzle brake or something, or a flash hider on it, or, you know, all this like ridiculous, fairly okay, yeah, it's somewhat, yeah, pistol grip makes it easier to hold slightly and maneuver, but really, that's it's just such a, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm get, I'm almost getting angry talking about this right now. We'll, we'll, we'll pivot a little bit, but yeah, it's- I, I had to, I had to remove a lot of these people from my Facebook. That was like my, <laughs> my pur- I did a purge recently and locked down my Facebook because I was just getting too angry during the day. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. Well, let's pivot to something more interesting that perhaps we can top off the podcast with kind of your foray into forging. Actually, one of my first pieces and actually, actually, before we do talk about forging, you need to have one of my friends on your podcast. He, if you want to talk about mechanics of firearms and ballistics and nomenclature, I don't know if you know Steven Gutowski. He just um, just launched his new solo website called The Reload. And he wrote for this publication called The Washington Free Beacon. It's kind of a center-right publication, but he was their firearms reporter. And he actually got the respect and garnered the respect of a lot of mainstream journalists and reporters. And they defer to him. He helps educate them about the right usage of terms and terminology. So you should have him on. He's awesome. And you would be very interested to hear about his new project, I think. So an aside, <laughs> I'll try to connect <laughs> you with him too. And yeah, you should definitely talk to your governor as well. But foray into forging, talk about that. And what's led you to be interested in that? Oh, man. Yeah. So, you know, knife forging is one of the, uh, again, one of those things, like I'm a collector of hobbies. And because I'm one of those people, if I see something, I want to know how to do it. Doesn't matter what it is. I just want to know I'm capable of doing it and get a basic understanding of how it works and what I can do. And so there's always been this little side interest in, you know, since I was a kid and like, it'd be cool to make a knife sometime. And, um, you know, with the podcast, I have on all kinds of different people and just really cool people. And I had, uh, Laura Zara on the podcast and you know a lot of people know her. Naked and Afraid right? Yeah Naked and Afraid uh like she's pretty much the most popular person that's ever been on Naked and Afraid like people that really watch the show uh the second you mention her name they're like she's every, everyone I've talked to that like knows her from the show is like oh my gosh she's like my favorite contestant ever and I think it's because she's one of those people she actually lives the lifestyle 24 7 like that's just who she is it's not like a she's not like a survivalist that kind of puts it on for the show. No, she, she's, she just disappears off into the woods for two weeks with her dog. And it's like, eh, I'll be back later to civilization. And, um, really she cool do person. A, a year without social media. I think I saw that. Uh, yeah. I think she just recently like, right. She was finishing that up right when my podcast with her came out, we had talked about that. And, uh, she, yeah, I think she like just fin- had kind of finished up her, complete uh foray away from social media for a while and um you know now now she's on and off and whenever she happens to be in reception or something but um yeah she's really interesting person survivalist and she uh she's a bladesmith a knife maker she's um and she wrote a book on beginner bladesmithing 
And just, uh, you know, a lot of times if my guests will have a book out or a, or a podcast, I'll listen to the podcast, I'll read the book, whatever that happens to be. And I picked up the book and it kind of reignited that, uh, that kind of flame and interest in bladesmithing again. And, you know, and it just, there's so, so close of a tie into the outdoors and hunting and, and, you know, so I started kind of venturing into that. And as I was posting about it, uh, some other local Montana bladesmiths, uh, you know, I kind of kept getting introduced to these people and some of them reached out. I reached out to some of them, um, just met some really cool people, you know, just like getting into hunting. Um, I, you know, I had this podcast and so I used it to my advantage to meet cool people and, um, and, you know, so I got to talk with Josh Smith, Montana Knife Co. He makes some amazing work. Um, you know, I watched a lot of Forged in Fire and just kind of, it, it sounds kind of silly, but there's a lot of inspiration to be had there. And I just, you know, I fell in love with this idea in the process and I started forging. And just like hunting, it's kind of taken over a lot of my life and time. And it's a, it is just so much fun, you know, cause I'm, I'm, I do marketing, I do digital work. And, you know, aside from going out hunting, most of my time is spent behind a computer and it's nice to take a weekend or, you know, just take some time in the afternoon and go down to the garage, light up the forge and start hammering away on some, you know, carbon steel, um, or to, to, you know, grind away, putting bevels into an edge or to, to do some finish work. And, uh, you know, right now my hands, you know, we don't have video, but like my hands are sliced to hell. There's like little teeny just cuts across all of them. Um, it's one, uh, half of it's covered in, in leather dye. The other half is like, I've got epoxy under my nails. Um, you know, it's just, I I've got burns on, you know, down half of my hand, one of my hands. And like, uh, it's just, I, I'm covered in knife. <laughs> um, and yeah, recently, you know, I've, I've discovered, I have a bit of a talent for it. I'm learning something new with everything. And I've had a couple people reach out and be like, Hey man, I want one. And suddenly now I've got a handful of commission knives and, uh, I've been selling, uh, I've sold, uh, I want to say five or six knives. Um, you know, I, I, I have kind of a, a, a few different styles of knives that I'm working on. I've got some just cool different commissions that I'm really excited to work on. And, you know, I explain to people, I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm like brand, like a couple of months into doing this. I've only been doing this for about two months and they're like, yeah, I know, but you do good work. And, you know, we just want to see what you come up with. I'm like, all right, you know, if you want to <laughs> your risk, no, but it's just turned into an amazing thing. And, uh, you know, I've, I, I throw up my knives all the time on, uh, on my Instagram, uh, at the wild initiative. Um, you know, I've always, I've always got something new that I'm, I'm working on that I'm putting up. Uh, I've got a new, just really cool. Uh, it was kind of a, just a cool weekend project that I worked on. It's, um, it's a Viking sack style knife, uh, with just a really cool wood handle. And my whole thing is, Similar to what I do with hunting is every time I go out hunting, I try something new. I want a new experience. I want to grow and learn. Well, with forging, I do the same thing. Every knife I make, I have to be trying something new with it. You know, it can be something small. It can be something big. And so whether that's a new technique, whether it's stock removal or, or forging, whether it's a new metal, um, a new blade shape, a, a more complex bevel on the knife, or some cool handle stuff. Um, I just try something new with every single one. And, you know, that's, I was having fun experimenting this weekend and it, you know, sometimes they don't work. Sometimes they come together better than I could ever expect. And so I'm excited. I've got a, 
I'll be posting up, uh, you know, a couple more soon. And I've got one I'll be putting up for like a raffle where people can buy some, uh, buy some tickets. And it's just this cool wood handled Viking sacks. I'm going to do uh, a horizontal belt sheath for, for anyone that, you know, likes that behind the back draw with, uh, whether it's, you know, while you're riding a horse or, um, you know, or, or while you're out, you know, it kind of keeps it up off your hip and yeah, it should be, should be fun, but it's, it's just another, another foray into something interesting. You know, I'm making, I'm going to be, uh, I'm making a couple Skinner Skinners for my hunting season this year to just have my own knife and be able to whatever animal I take, be able to go out and it's just owning more of that process. You know, I guess, I guess that's what part of it is, is, um, why I like bow hunting is I feel like I'm owning more of that process of the hunt. I like processing my own meat because I'm owning more of that, more of that whole process. And, you know, now it's one more thing. I'm making my own knife, uh, for taking out in the field for survival or, and for skinning and quartering out that animal using my own knife. It's owning more of that process. It's becoming more of a capable person and trying new things and, you know, we're in a time right now where everyone has so much dang free time, right? You know, it's, there's still a lot of people that are, you know, even if they're working there, so many people are working remote and they have all of this extra time at home. And, you know, there's a couple of different types of people. There's the people that lay around and bemoan their situation. And then there's the other people that say, screw it. I'm going to do something. I'm going to learn something new. I'm going to start something. And, uh, you know, maybe it's pat myself on the back, but I feel like I've always been that second type of person to where, um, anytime I can learn something new, I'll take advantage of it. And anytime I can take something on and make mistakes and screw up royally, but find a way to let that turn me into a more capable, more valuable. I mean, and you know, but hopefully people understand what I mean by this, but a more valuable person. Um, like I, I'm going to take advantage of that. And that's, you know, part of why I started hunting. That's why I started forging. That's why if you slept a sewing machine down in front of me, I could make you a kick-ass Halloween costume. Um, <laughs> I'd love you know, to see you try. <laughs> oh, I taught, I taught myself to, there's a whole other side of me, man. I, I, I used to run D and D games and I taught myself to crochet in college. So, wow. um, like a man I said, of many talents, <laughs> I, I see some, I see something and I want to know how to do it. It doesn't matter what it is. I'll, you know, I'll kill an animal. I'll tan the hide. I'll cook it up. I'll make you a kick-ass dinner from it. I'll, you know, I just, I see that part of the process and I'm not, I'm, you know, I may not be the best chef out there. I'm definitely not the best hunter out there. Anybody <laughs> that claims I'm trying to claim anything else is, is I'm laughing at him, but uh, you know, I just, every step I can take to my, make myself, you know, a better, more capable person. I'm going to, I'm going to take it. I get, I get excited about that stuff. Very cool, Sam. Where else aside from Instagram, can people connect with you? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, again, my Instagram is the wild initiative. Uh, you can find me on my website at the wild Um, I'm on pretty much each and every podcast platform you could imagine. Just honestly, you have, a, if there's a search bar somewhere, you can type in the wild initiative and you'll probably find me whether that's, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the things 
you can find me on TikTok. I make no uh, I make no uh, apologies for the the bizarre crap you'll find on there. Um, <laughs> that that is the world of TikTok. We'll not we'll not discuss that any further. Uh- <laughs> I'm just skeptical of using it because it is tied to to the CCP. That's my reservation with it. But hey, I won't hold it against you <laughs> for using it. It's- you know, it's it's one of those things. I you know I put up my crap so public anyway. Whatever I, I put it up there, and uh, if they want to if they want to send me money from the TikTok creators fund because I I made a a goofy video of me pulling back my bow with weird squeaky noises, more power to them. <laughs> oh yeah, there's all kinds of wild stuff on there and uh i would not recommend going to look at it because it's all dumb but uh noted. every but inst- your instagram else. is good i like your yeah. instagram account i think it's really interesting and unique you show all the different dimensions of your work I, yeah i try and show a little bit of everything and and mix it up so whether that's going out fly fishing whether that's cooking whether it's shooting hunting uh the podcast and you know really the I'd love it if people went to check out the podcast. Uh, you know, a lot of people are like, what? He's only been hunting for four years. I'm not going to listen to that dude's podcast. Well, it's a good thing. Cause it's not about me. It's, it's a, I mean, well, to some extent, it's about me learning from all of these people and sharing uh, their knowledge. It's, it's allowing all these people, you know, the whole idea behind the podcast is I wanted it to be a conversation. You know, that conversation you have when you're at the bar with your hunting buddies and you know, you're just, you're learning all those little secrets that you wouldn't pick up otherwise, or when you're around the campfire or when you're just hanging out with your friends, like those are the conversations I wanted to have with these amazing inspirational people. And I wanted to allow everyone to be the fly, a fly on the wall for those conversations. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to share. You know, I've had maybe a handful at most of solo episodes and pretty much all of them are me discussing all the things I did wrong, um, (laughs) in my hunts. And so those are actually typically pretty fun ones. Um, if, uh, you know, you get to hear about all the, the stupid stuff I did and what I learned from it, but yeah, check out the podcast. I would love feedback from people. You know, I don't get a ton of feedback on the episodes. And so I love to hear from people on what they think, what they want to hear more of. So yeah, just uh, pretty much any anywhere you can find a search bar, type in the Wild Initiative, and I'll I'll probably pop up. Beautiful. Thanks so much, Sam, for coming on. I hope I get to see you in Nashville in a few months for Poma Conference. Are you planning to come to that? Oh, I was I was going back and forth about it, and I I wanted to, and it actually turns out my family is going to be my whole family. Like I've got like twelve people coming to visit me. Uh, in montana that very week uh, and weekend so family comes first yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna make it this year i i'm very very bummed out that i won't get to see uh see you guys won't get uh won't get to go out for crawfish with roy um you know won't get to won't get to cause a ruckus uh, after hours with with you and tom opry and uh, and Tony Bynum and and everyone. So <laughs> there will be other times. Don't worry. Plus, it's coming to Montana next year. I know that. I'm yeah. Very excited about because I can drive. <laughs> <laughs> so 
but no, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. I, it's, it's not often I get to be on the other side here and just ramble on and on. So, Of course, anytime I can have you come on to talk about things in Montana. Absolutely. And it's always fun hearing other people's perspectives too, because I think, I mean, my podcast is centered around DC, but I talk to everyone all over because we're all interconnected through what happens from the federal government. It impacts Montana's livelihoods, Virginia's thing and all that. So it's all an interconnected thing. And and it would be so silly just to concentrate in my region, which is what I started out originally with, but I bring on people from the area to come on and talk, but everyone else too. So it's been an honor. Thank you, Sam. And hopefully I'll get to see you sometime in the future, even if there's no Poma. Definitely. It would be very good to see you again. Thanks so much for having me on.